0: My name is Michelle and welcome to a new episode of Edutech XP. In today's episode, our guest Pierre Dillenberg talks with Laura about orchestration and robotics in education. How can orchestration and robotics be combined in a classroom setting? This question and many more will be answered during this interview, so stay tuned.
1: Thank you for coming Pierre, we're really happy to have you here. And while we're going to get started with this, you know, beginning 2021, Uh you became vice president of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lusanne. So I'm really curious of what's your scope of duties at the moment. And in general, if you maybe help us and contextualize what that institute is.
2: So the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology is um, what its name is saying, which is um it's a school of engineering, architecture and sciences, usually in the top five in Europe and top 20 in the world. My current role is to be the associate vice president for education. It means I have to manage 10,000 bachelor master students and 1,000 teachers in these sweet days of a pandemic. And um, the real question is not what is my job, but how does it relate to education research? And um, that does not occur very often. That actually the the decision I have to take as vice provost, let's say, uh, the decision I have to take are really driven by evidence, by by research results. But from time to time, I have to bring, I manage to bring a meta-analysis into some of the meetings and to, to explain to my colleagues from mathematics, chemistry, uh, chemical engineering, what is a meta-analysis and why we should trust the result of a meta-analysis.
1: Mm, I understand. It's like gathering all the information and helping the other areas as well. So really interesting. Thank you. Well, how's your career path evolved until this point? Um, were you always thinking about doing this or how did you end it up there?
2: There is no career past. There is only seventy I started as a elementary school teacher 42 years ago. And then, um, then I wanted to change teacher education. So I went to do a master in education. There I discovered the first computers. It was in the beginning of the 80s. I read books on AI and my master thesis in 85 was about the use of machine learning for education. We were only three in the world, thinking about using machine learning for education. And because of that, because I published this paper, I got an offer to do a PhD in in UK in AI and education. After that, I moved to Geneva because I love the mountains. And 20 years ago, I moved from Geneva University to uh, the Lausanne Federal Institute of Technology. So, and there I was reaching the end of my career when I received an offer from another top university in the world. I discussed with the president and at some point he convinced me to stay and to take his job. So it's all serendipity. Finding friends in the world, having beer with people were just interesting and funny, not with the VIPs, but these interesting and funny friends became also leaders in the field. So that's that's all. There is no planning and planning is, is a, bit <laughs> okay, a bit stupid.
1: Okay, planning is a bit stupid. That's interesting. I guess it's just go where things are working good and then if things are interesting
2: It's not a question of luck exactly it's not a question of plan and strategy it's just when an opportunity occurs do you jump on it or not So for instance, I went to do a PhD in AI in England and I did not speak English and I did not I had not taken any computer science class. so that sometimes you need to jump and um, and go.
1: Okay, that's, that's great. Just trust it, trust the path, maybe, I guess. So thank you very much. Now that you uh, work with robotics, like a lot, right? And this somehow interrelates with education and kind of imagine most people just think uh, about like this humanoid thing, <laughs> talking, uh, but what really is uh, robotics and education? How do they correlate or interrelate?
2: So there are two types of bridges between robotics and education. One is the most frequent one is people use robots for teaching computational thinking skills or programming. So it's, it's basically using robots to teach programming, which is much more exciting than it's more exciting to program a robot than to program a normal computer and the the coding difficulties can be exactly the same. So that's the main role of robots in school. And in Switzerland, we started with very young kids, with a very simple, small robot graphical programming, but also uh, language programming. And uh, actually, we started to bring computational thinking activities already in kindergarten, but unplugged activities. So we do programming with wooden blocks and these kind of things. Now, that's one part. The second part that you refer to bringing humanoids in the classrooms I've done some of it. Some of it was, for instance, we take children with difficulties handwriting, and there is a small humanoid called Nao, and we tell to the children, you know, could you help Nao to improve his teaching? So it's learning by teaching, or it's the uh, to improve its writing. Sorry, it's learning by teaching, or it's so called the protege effect when you are in charge of training somebody, you learn even more. So that was. Working quite well, the kids were extremely motivated to help Nao to learn to write. But, you know, that's a 15,000 euro robot to be used by one child. This is ridiculous. I mean, in some way, it was interesting. And and then we moved away from the robot and now we we have a fantastic app for handwriting difficulties. But honestly, the more time I spend with humanoids in classrooms, the less I believe this is a good idea. And that brings me you to your next question, whether we still need teachers.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yesterday, yesterday I was speaking to ministers, you uh, know, members of the parliament. And I said, you really don't overestimate what we mean by AI. The most intelligent robot is less intelligent than the most stupid teachers we have. The AI in a robot is... Now we in the last application we have the AI is fantastic. It analyzes handwriting, any analyze feature of handwriting that are not perceivable by a human eye, like the second derivative or the pressure of the pen on a tablet. And we have worked with 45 therapists and they really like this AI module. But it does only one thing.
1: Yeah, it's like really specific, huge investment.
2: It's very specific. It's very, No, no. the investment is not a problem because there are about 25% of the kids in the world who have handwriting difficulties. So the ratio between what has been invested and the potential benefit is, is good. But what my point is that we call that AI, that it does only one thing, analyzing the dynamics of handwriting. And, you know, if you're trying a system to recognize cats and dogs, and then you show an elephant and a toothbrush, it doesn't know the difference because it needs okay. to be retrained. So journalists always ask me this question, are you going to replace teachers by robots? And I tell them, there is only one good answer for me is, yes, okay, we replace teachers by robots, then we replace the kids by robots, and maybe the journalists by robots, and everybody, go to, goes, to the, everybody goes to the beach, and we, we have nice, a nice time together. For me, there is no, no, no question at all. Some people talk about general AI. I think we are far from it and, and uh, far from the intelligence of the teacher. And by the way, we have teachers. Okay, sometimes we have local lacks of teacher due to demographic variation. But um, no, I, I'm, not only I will not replace teachers and even they will not coexist. With some people say, oh, yes, but the the robot will be an assistant of the teacher. No, the robots are not able to do that.
1: Yeah, it's more like a tool that the teacher can use, but...
2: I don't know any humanoid robot really useful. They're nice, interesting research project, and that's fine to do research project on this. But uh, even the robots that you see sometimes in the shops to welcome customers, in the shopping centers and so on,
1: well, how do you orchestrate that? Like, how did you combine teacher and whatever type of AI yeah, in the classroom?
2: So let's forget about humanoids. Huh?
1: Yeah, because that's, that's a really popular idea. idea, but not not sure that's a, the that's a way to go.
2: Yeah. So if I take this last AI thing we've done, this. so this is an app for uh, remediating handwriting difficulties. So we make the analysis and then games to practice pressure, tilt, and so on. So So when I go to... Decision makers or teachers I say, you are not going to put kids for one hour and for of an, an iPad. That's not the life of a classroom. You are going to create four groups, four tables. On one table, they play in with the iPad, with the AI app on the iPad. Second place, you have a sandbox where they write letter, letters in the sand. That's more useful for the understanding the shape of the letter. A third table where they write letters in the back, of their friend and the friend has to guess the letter and a fourth table where they write on paper and so on and then you do that for 15 minutes and then you should rotate and they rotate and so that's typically a task of orchestration when you have multiple activities some of them can be individuals some of them can be in teams and you have to manage the transition between these activities and that's a typical example of orchestration now when it's about robotics I have a PhD student, um, Sinasha Moradi, is finishing his PhD on specifically the orchestration of robotic classrooms, not with humanoid but with small robots. Mm-hmm. There is a small robot at EPFL called Timio. They sold 70,000 of them that is used for teaching programming. And it's not easy for teachers. The kids are working with the robots suddenly they say sir it doesn't work and the teacher has to come and in a few seconds to find out what they did wrong what they did wrong we are talking about elementary classroom teachers so they're not expert in programming and they should in one more fragment of time find out the things so sometimes some of the robots are down then mm-hmm. you know it's just uh, so what they develop is some kind of dashboard for the teachers, when he has the status of every robot, what every robot has been doing, and basically a tool for monitoring activities. Imagine you have um, 10 of these small robots in the classroom, and then also to, at some point you can say, okay, now we go to the next activity, and you propagate this activity by forcing all robots to shift to the next activity. so orchestrating in a robotics classroom, so ten teams of two students working with a robot is not easy. so we try to give tools to teachers to facilitate a little bit this orchestration.
1: The teacher perspective always it's interesting to me because well as you just said, not all teachers, not a, yeah not most of the teachers are ready you're prepared to you know, go and take care of this and that new tool. What are um, maybe tools or strategies there are for teachers to, to work better when there's these new tools around?
2: Oh, We should try to make their life easier. Basically, when we introduce technology in the classroom, we make the life of the teacher a bit more complex because sometimes the Wi-Fi is down. Sometimes one, com- one robot did not load properly during the night. Sometimes students will ask questions that the teacher cannot answer. And it's not a surprise that many teachers are not so keen to use technology, because nobody is keen to use something that makes our life more difficult. So everything we can make, and it was the idea of this orchestration dashboard, everything we can do to make the, the technologies just simpler to use, Sometimes there are simple things like, you know, the time it takes to install the technology in the classroom. You know, teachers cannot come 20 minutes before the lesson because 20 minutes before the lesson, they have another lesson. So it should be something that you can uh, set up the classroom very easily, that if there is a problem, you see the problem, easily, you fix the problem. So, and, and um, in many cases allow them to keep the control. Imagine you're a teacher and you have 20 kids, you bring 20 iPads. And at some point you would like all the kids to stop and listen to a short explanation that you give as a teacher. You say, "Uh, children, please, please stop two minutes. Please stop. Laura, I said, stop. John, please, no, John, please. If, If it takes you three or four minutes to get the attention and you have to do it, let's say 10 times in the lesson, you spend, you have wasted 20 to 30 minutes, which is half time of the lesson. So things that allow teachers to also keep the control of the classroom. You know, for instance, in some of the tools we developed, which were so great that students were so engaged that they did not listen to the teacher at all. So we had to make a trick where all the all the device will stop, will freeze. The teacher could do an explanation and then unfreeze all the device. Let's make sure it's not nice to um, involve, take the teacher viewpoint. The technology has no effect without the teacher. Mm-hmm. What, what term transform the, the effect of the technology is never due to the technology. It's due to the cognitive process that are triggered by the activities that students need to do with this technology. So it's never the technology that has an effect, it's a cognitive mechanism going on in the brain of the learners. Because there is an activity with this technology that force this cognitive activity, and the person who orchestrates these learning activities in the classroom is the teacher. So we had very cool augmented reality tools. Teachers like it, students like it. When we did an experiment, no significant effect. And then we change ways the ways the teacher uses this in the classroom, and we get significant effect. So exactly the same technology by Changing the things that the teacher was doing, was doing, we obtained significant effects. So the technology in the classroom has not done an effect if you don't put the teacher in the equation. Mm-hmm. And that's something that EdTech designers kind of put at the last minute. They say, okay, we designed super cool technology for learning. And then at the end, they say, oh, yeah, my teachers are reluctant to use the technology. But they were left out of the equation during all the design process. So, really, um, it's not just to be politically correct that I'm talking about teachers. It's because they are the key to make something effective.
1: Yeah, of course. In the end, they're the ones who are there with, with children or, or, well, anywhere, universities as well. So, well, thank you. What other challenges do you see there in, in this merging robotics and education? Because once the teachers, uh, maybe training, something
0: else?
2: probably that one challenge is to find convincing activities. So as I said, there is all the people who do, who teach computational thinking skills, programming with robots. That's fine. That's convincing. For the other ones, we have a small robot called Cellulo that we've used across many activities. Very nice, extremely nice. You can play, one person can control a swarm of 10 robots and so on. You can find video online. It's called Cellulo. None of the activities we design, we had this moment where a teacher would say, ah, yes, there is something I can teach with this that I could not teach with something else. And that's the point we are looking for. You know, in, in all the things that we, I mean, we win when a teacher tells us, uh-huh, no, no, that, that really justify because teaching this concept, like for instance, uh, we had, work with carpenters, and that to teach the propagation of force in the beams of the roof the wooden beams and whether the beam is being in compression and extension and so on. And they had to teach this within three hours to carpenters. At university, if you take civil engineers, they learn this during three years. And they asked us, can you, you know, he said, they said, well, we've really a problem, how to teach this intuitive statics, no mathematics, just basic understanding of of forces in, in a roof structure. That's good. That's a nice problem. And um, and we develop an augmented reality solution. So the real challenge for the future is to find a place where the added value of a technology is not innovation. I don't like the word innovation. People say, oh, we want to innovate. No, the added value is that we, we bring a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, when people start a PhD, I say, you "No, know, find a problem. Problems are delicious. If you address a real problem and... Um, if you go to the teachers and you say, what is your problem? That's not a good question. He, the teacher would reply, well, young people are lazy. Yeah, young people cannot focus because they spend too much time on their phone. Yeah, okay. It takes months to identify a problem of something that is very difficult to teach or and where digital solution could bring uh, an added value. It takes, it takes six months. But um, then at the end, you have something where people say, why would we use the technology for that? It's so easy to do otherwise. You have to find a place where the added value is, is, is kind of trivial. And for humanoids, I have not found them. For smaller robots and other applications, we can find them.
1: That's also an opportunity to future research, right? Like finding the right problem.
2: Oh, the research is not finding the right problem. It's when you found a good problem, then you can do creative applications. Creativity is always Um, more necessary if the problem is very constrained. So if, if I ask you, draw an elephant, you need less creativity than if I tell you, draw an elephant with a mug and a candle and a pair of glasses and draw an elephant with, build an elephant with that. And so the more constraint you give to people, the more creative they have to be to find a solution. So the future is to, you know, there is not... Something like the future will be robots in schools. The future will be a diversity of tools used in classrooms. And based on the problem that we tackle, sometimes it might be a robot, sometimes it might be tablet application, sometimes it can be non-digital at all. Um, the future is not one technology, it's, it's a diversity of tools for, for different users. But uh, as I said before, I don't know what is the future. <laughs> yeah. And... If I would know, know, probably I would be depressed or anyway, I would be sad anyway. Knowing the future is maybe, you know, in the future, we will all die basically. So that's not, that's the only certitude. So it's not very really fun. So let's, let's enjoy um, doing research today and the future, you know. Just think about the pandemic. If you would have said two months before, you know, the pandemic, in two months, everybody We'll take lessons on Zoom at home. People will say, Phrase. I agree. And so I have, have no clue what we try to push with this new joint doctoral program that we have with ETH Zurich is to bring scientists with um, a potential of impact by we take basically people with a master in science and technology or engineering and train them into learning science so they have this double this double background Of education and engineering. For instance, I think that all students in learning science in the world should, and and all teachers should have a small introduction to machine learning so that uh, the future of science, what is clear, is that the future is is, um, of learning science is to be more a computational science, not in the sense of ed tech, but in the sense that you know most modern science, chemistry, astrophysics, whatever became computational scientists. And I believe or I hope that education will become more and more a data science.
1: I agree. I really like that 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 aim for the future. That that could solve like being really methodic when teaching and learning could solve so many problem misunderstandings in the classroom and stuff. So well, I think that those were all the questions. Thank you. Well now thanks to you for joining us and well I guess have a nice day.
0: Technology is getting more advanced every day. Today, using robots in a classroom seems suddenly completely possible, while 20 years ago, no teacher would have guessed this development. To find out more about the connection of education and technology, make sure to also listen to our next episode, which will be about artificial intelligence. Remember that you can follow the conversation about this and other topics on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thanks again, Professor Dillenberg and Laura, and thanks to you, dear audience, for joining us. Until the next time, in EduTech XP.